Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. It is Mother's Day, and I want to talk to you about attributes of God that relate to that. Uh, one of the reasons, one of the reasons we have um, the Bible is, and let me just add, and one of the reasons that Jesus came to walk amongst his creation is because God has a bad reputation. And what I mean by that is he has an inaccurate reputation. We, we uh, ascribe things uh, to him that aren't true uh, about his nature and about his emotions, what motivates him. And because of that, we end up living lives that uh, are usually filled with maybe shame or anger or spite uh, or There's probably a thousand different descriptive terms to to how you live when you don't understand what God is like, but I'll tell you, in summary, your life will be a lie because you're living as though God were one way, but he's not. He's a different way. And so God, in understanding that, uh, spent an enormous amount of time and effort to preserve a biography, and it's called the Bible. It's about him so that we would know what he's absolutely right what he's absolutely like. In this, in this book, the Bible has been preserved over time so that the message itself would be clear and true. But we don't listen to it. We don't read it. When Jesus comes, how many times, you know, in Jesus' life do you hear him say, you've heard it said, but I'm here to tell you this. You've heard people talk about the Father like this. I'm here to tell you it's absolutely the, the opposite of that, because we are, we're continually finding ourselves misrepresenting God and therefore, in many respects, living a lie. Last week, we looked, or two weeks ago, we're looking at these attributes of God. We looked at that God is trustworthy. It's like an anchor. But even that word is contaminated because, you know, we say things like, oh, I'm trustworthy. My handshake's as strong as oak. Really? You want to close the deal on a handshake? You could sign on the dotted line, and we say, sure, because we know that even if it doesn't work out, it's all about who has the best lawyer. But we would be scared because we would be committed if we were to sign our name in blood, would we not? What if you had to sign your name in blood? And that's just what God does to explain and to help us understand the idea of his trustworthiness being an anchor to us. And so in the Old Testament, he comes up with this, this word picture, and it's called a covenant, and it means to cut, to cut a covenant. And they would, they would make blood covenants because God says, I cannot lie. I don't know how to lie. It is, be, it is, it is impossible for me to lie, and so I will show you how trustworthy I am by making a blood covenant and his promises are true. And the ultimate fulfillment of his blood covenant is the ultimate fulfillment of his promise that he would send a, a, a provider, a, a promised one, a savior. And it's in his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, that we were singing about, that he made that promise and fulfilled that promise. God is trustworthy. It's like an anchor to your soul. Last week we looked at God as uh, loving, like a mother, or I'm sorry, like a father, and he wants to make us holy. And even that word is polluted, the word father, because some of us don't have very good fathers. And even if you had the ultimate expression of a father, he says over and over again, your father is like this, God the Father so much more. And and the love of the father is committed to making you holy. And that experience 
of being holy would blow your mind at what God wants to make out of your life. That's what God is up to in loving us like a father. Today we're going to look at this, that God is loving like a mother, okay, and his great compassions never fail. God is loving like a mother, and his compassions never fail. I want us to spend some time on this today because what you believe about God, as we've seen, is the most important thing about you. And today we're going to look at this mother love that, like in the video, allows us to fall so that we'll learn that we only grow stronger by getting up. We're going to learn about God's love being maternal, is intimate, that his discipline is merciful, and that his compassion is relentlessly pursuing us. It is unrelenting. That's what we're going to look at today. Now, before we get started, I feel like we have to do a few things. We have to do two things before we get into kind of the stories that illustrate this maternal love of God. The first thing is the word that we're going to spend most of our time um, learning about, and the word, the word is compassion. And it's an interesting word in the Bible because it is almost exclusively used to describe God. And let me show you in a passage that, that is used throughout the rest of the Bible from Exodus chapter 33 on as the most descriptive sentences to, to draw boundaries on the existence or the nature of God. Exodus chapter 33, Moses says, um, how, now show me your glory. And God says this, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy whom I will have mercy, and I will have, there's the word, compassion on whom I shall have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face because no one sees my face and lives. So the word there, the most descriptive word for God that's used from the beginning to the end is this word compassion in Hebrew it is pronounced rahim, rahim. Let's all say that together, rahim. It's probably not pronounced that way. I really am no good at Hebrew, but it's, that's the way it's going to roll today, okay? So I was dating Melinda when I was taking Hebrew in graduate school. I don't remember a thing, and I'm still blaming her for it. Rahim means compassion, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's such a, a picturesque term that even the term alone is inadequate because most of the time when it's being used to describe God, they put the word great in front of it. He is greatly, he has great compassion. He has great rahim. And it's rarely, rarely used to describe a human being. And on those exceptions, when a human being is described as rahim, as compassion, it is a female that's being described as compassionate or merciful or loving kindness. And here's why. Because the Jews, that, that Hebrew language is a word, it's a, it's, a, it's a language of pictures. And the picture that we are supposed to have in our souls when we think about the compassion of God is the word womb. Rahim means compassion. It's the same word for womb. Because God is greatly compassionate, like a mother's love, and it's never failing. And this word, womb, captures that in a way that we can understand this place that is safe for us. It is comfortable for us. It is a place where we just receive, where we are nurtured all the time, all the time. It is the safest and most protected place in our whole experience. It is the womb of our mother. 
That is the same word, rahim, for God's compassion towards us. Whenever we see the word from now on today, I'm going to have it in all capital letters. I will have it in red, and I want you to use your mind that this is womb love, womb compassion, that it is great mercy towards us from God. Is that the way you think about God? Is that the way you live your life in light of that? We'll see. We'll look at ways to apply that more effectively. The second thing, before we go too much further, is this, that faith is peekaboo. Faith is peekaboo. Eugene Peterson is a Bible scholar. He's famous for um, writing a translation that you might have called The Message. It's an easy-to-read Bible translation. And he wrote an article a number of years ago um, called Back to Square One, God Said. Back to Square One, God Said. Eugene Peterson compared and contrasted um, infants to infantile faith, or other words, young people to young faith. And he particularly spent time with um, a, a phrase that you might know, uh, object permanence. You moms or dads might know object permanence is, is that value that little children have, infants have. When they, you're only permanent when they can see you. And this is the magic of peekaboo, okay? The reason peekaboo works with infants is because when they don't see you, you don't exist. Object permanence. It's like you don't exist. You're now you're not there anymore. And so you go peekaboo, and they think you just came up out of thin air. And then you show, shield their eye again and eyes again, and they, you're gone. You're there. You're gone. You're there. And you can do this for hours. You might have suffered that. It, because they have no concept of you not seeing you and still being there. And so, again, Eugene Peterson says, okay, people do that with their relationship with God. If infants in their faith say, if I don't feel his presence, if I don't, you know, like can kind of experience his answers to prayer, he's not there. He doesn't exist. He's not happy with me. He's probably vindictive. Or with object permanence is he exists regardless of my circumstances and independent of my emotions and feelings. And today, what I'm trying to appeal to is a goal of a mature faith that you believe in God's Rahim, his great compassion never fails you independent of what you've experienced, where you are now, or what you're particularly feeling. I mean, isn't the very definition of object permanence, right, is faith. Faith is this peekaboo. Faith is defined in the Bible as the conviction of things not seen. You don't see but you have a conviction he's behind there somewhere, and you believe it and act that way. How do you do on this? How do you do with peekaboo? Two days in a strange place that's a little bit scary. Where's God now? Where'd he go? I'm lost. I've been abandoned. That's infant. Two weeks in hospital bed, and they still don't have a diagnosis? Maybe that would be adolescence before you wonder, does he care or does he know? Fourteen summers, always the groomsman, never the groom. And you quit talking to God about it was his idea that it's not good for man to be alone. That's a mature faith. Now, let's, today, we're going to combine these two things. 
that compassion, rahim, means this womb-like love with peekaboo, that faith is being able to believe when you don't see. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at how long it takes us to go without any kind of experience or personal emotion or return on a prayer request before we say, all is lost. I'm being ignored. His discipline is vindictive. His, he has given up on me. Or we're going to grow mature where we, we, we begin to understand that his love for us is intimate and affectionate at all times, that his discipline is merciful, in fact, and that, that his God, God's love for us is just persistently, constantly coming at us. That's what we're going to see. What I'm going to do today is now just tell you three stories. I think there's 12 in the Bible where this particular word for compassion is used, rahim, this word that means womb. And we'll look at three stories that help us kind of visualize the different flavors or perspectives of this, and then we'll see how should we look at this and how should we live, okay? Three quick stories, all in the Old Testament because that's the book that's written in, the old, in, in Hebrew. And so the first one, the theme of it, this is that God loves us like a mother and his compassion is intimate. It's a feminine word, womb. It's, this compassion word is feminine. It's intimate. It means affectionate. It, it is used in Isaiah to con contrast the most loving and nurturing mother has nothing in comparison to the love and nurture of God. This is where the word womb or, or this maternal aspect of God is shown in conjunction and in contrast with this word rahim. Chapter 49 of Isaiah, 14 through 16, look what it says. Zion is Israel, but, but Israel says, the Lord has forsaken me. Woe is me, and the Lord has forgotten me. And God comes back, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no rahim, no compassion on, her, on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Can you ladies that have had children, can you imagine in your wildest, darkest moment forgetting your child that you have or are nursing on your breast? Really? Never. Or the, the, the son that you raised from your womb, could you have a moment of what was his name? Not likely. And this God comes in and says, that is not even the entry level of God's intimacy and affection that he has towards you. Let's do faith is peekaboo, okay? How long before you think that God has forgotten you, like they said, that God has forgotten you, that you're like not even in his memory? Are you in this infant stage when all is good, therefore God is good? Or are you in a more mature stage in your life in faith that says, God is good. He is affectionately loving me regardless of circumstances or the trials that I'm in. God is always good. He is always compassionate. His mercies are great towards me. Live this way. Live this way. 
that in that moment, whenever, how fast it might be, that you have doubts about his concern for you, that you would imagine that when he opens his hands up, this is the God that sent his own son for you, and how will he not also with him freely give you all things? When he looks at his palm, he sees your name. His thoughts are fixated upon you, it says. You might forget your child, but God will never forget you because his loving kindness is like a, like a mother. It is affectionate. Do you live that way? Let me give you another story. Good story. Here's the theme of it. God is love like a mother. His compassion will discipline you with mercy. This is a more complicated kind of story to understand. In the Older Testament, uh, the greatest king of Israel in their history was a gentleman named David. You know him from David and Goliath. And when he takes over as the kingdom, he is supposed to rule God's nation as like an archetype of how to live by faith. Okay? And so he, he's supposed to put his trust in the power of God and the protection of God. Well, in a moment of weakness, he, David uh, continually dealt with the issue of pride and, and power. And so on, on some given Tuesday, he tells his head general, his name is Joab, and all of his generals, it's like his military council is sitting before him. And he says, I want you to number all the men in the army and all the men that could be in the army, and I want you to enlist them. I want to know how big this vast military is. You can't brag about how big your army is unless you know exactly how big it is. And listen, there's nothing wrong with numbering. There's a lot of that going on. But it was clear that it was about selfish ambition and pride that was motivating him instead of humility and dependence. Because Joab, his top general, this five-star general that worked directly to him, said, David, don't do this. All of us are against this because we don't brag about how many men we have. We brag about how big our God is. And I know what's motivating you is nothing short of arrogance. And he says this, I, I would hope that you would see the, the, the troops multiplied a hundredfold and see God work in our military expeditions before you would number the troops. Don't do this. And David said, tomorrow, get started. And Job said, Joab said, guilt will fall on our entire country if you do this. And David said, that's an order. And so it picks up, so he commits this crime, and it says in chapter 24, verse 8, it says, and after they had gone through the entire land, they came back to Jerusalem, and at the end of nine months and 20 days, they name the number of days, then David had a con was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men, and he said to the Lord, oh, dear God, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, and now, oh, Lord, I beg you, Take away this guilt from your servant, for I have done a very foolish and proud thing. And before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to a prophet named Gad and said, Go tell David, this is what the Lord is saying. You have three options for your discipline. Choose one, and I will carry it out against you. And then Gad, this prophet, says to David, You shall choose from one of these three things. Three years of drought, and the discipline will be nature. Okay? Three months on the run from your enemies, and you will, you will answer to other men. Or three, you will have three days of a plague, and I will send my angel to, to do this. Now, here's, think about that. David realizes he's done something wrong, terribly, terribly wrong. 
that he and his country would pay for it, and he has to choose what kind of paddle he's going to be hit with. And here's what he appeals to. Verse 14, and David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his compassion is great, great compassion. His rahim is great, but do not let me fall into the hands of other men. David knows his, his, his discipline is merciful. And he says, if I'm going to have to, I have to be spanked for this. This pride has to get out of me somehow. And I, would, I want God to do it because his discipline is merciful. And let me tell you what happens in this is there is this three days of plagues. The angel of judgment goes over Israel. And when it gets to Jerusalem, two verses later in verse 16, it says, And when the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord was grieved by the calamity that was taking place. And he said to the angel that was inflicting the people, Enough. Withhold your hand. And do you know why? Because his discipline is compassionate and merciful. Enough was done. The lesson was learned. Faith is peekaboo. How long does it take when you're living with the consequences of your choices or the realization that you have deep-seated root weeds in your soul that need to be pulled? How long after the first throbbing before you say, Woe is me. God is vindictive. He hates me. Why all of this? Do you, are you like an infant where you think that it would, God would be compassionate if he would just leave you alone with your pettiness and selfishness, with your superficial values of life and greed and vanity or anger? Would, would that be compassion if he just laid you be? Or are you a mature person that realizes that when God is going to discipline you, you know that this is not a limb that needs to be cut off, that is... Um, a weed that needs to be dug out, and the roots go deep on some of our sins, right? And so you say to him, God, if you have the spade out, let's go get it. Let's get it all. Because I know, I know this about you, that you're loving like a mother, and your compassion is shown in the discipline with mercy. God is not out to break you. He is out to push you into a breakthrough moment because that's what compassion does. That's what Rahim looks like in God. One last story, we're running out of time here, and that is mother's love is, uh, God's love is like a mother's love. His compassion is persistent. His compassion is persistent. What I mean is it's unrelenting. It's always coming at us. It never gives up. The volume's always on full. We cannot outsend this God. He will not leave us alone. In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is praying a prayer, and it's most essentially it is the history of Israel. It's about 700 years of history. And here's, I'm going to read four paragraphs, forgive me. I'm going to read four paragraphs, and with each paragraph, there's a common theme. One, the rebellion of the people of God. That's you. Okay, we're all the people, if you follow Christ, you are a child of God. The, re- the consistent rebellion of the children of God and the consistent rahim, compassion, great compassion of God. Listen for that. Listen about the volatility of our obedience and the persistence of God. This is 
chapter 9, verse 18, and it says, it goes all the way, he's doing this survey, he goes back to the golden calf, you might have seen that in the movies, right? Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf made out of gold, and they said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. And then when they committed these awful blasphemies, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. By day, the pillar of cloud uh, did not cease to guide them on their path, and the pillar of fire did not cease from shining so for their sake they might be protected. Next paragraph. But they were disobedient and rebellious against you still. They put the law behind their backs. They killed your prophets who had admonished them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them. And when they were oppressed and they cried out to you, from heaven you heard them, and your great Rahim caused you to bring them deliverance, and you rescued them from the hands of their enemies. Next paragraph. (laughs) This is unedited, just the next sentence. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in their own sight, and and then you abandoned them to the hands of their enemies so their enemies would rule them, and then they cried out again and again, and you heard it from heaven, and your great compassion delivered them time after time. Next paragraph. You warned them to return to the law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances by which man can live if he obeys them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you. They became stiff necks and refused to listen to you. For many years, you, put, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you admonished them through the prophets. They paid no attention, so you handed them over to their na- for the neighboring people. Verse 31, summary of the story. But in your great compassion, Rahim, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are gracious and compassionate, Rahim. You are a Rahim God. The only thing they succeeded at was failure. The only thing we succeed at is failure. And God's love is like a mother's love that is relentless. It is, it is forever charging. It is never turned down. It is always dominating and domineering us. Peekaboo. So what, is, what sin is it? Or is it a list of sins that you get to and you say, God's not there anymore. He's had enough. He's given up on you. You've hit the mark. You've went past the line. You're done. Or do you have a mature faith that says, what can you do to outsin the great Rahim compassion of God? Do you have a mature faith? Do you live a life that reflects that the love of God is like a mother's love for you? His compassion never fails you. So how do you grow up, right? That's, what, that's probably what you're, well, how do you get from this peekaboo life to a mature life? Well, Peterson helps us with that. He gives us three ways to how to grow up, uh, and, and he does this, I think, in a marvelous way. It's, I, I'm not going to spend much time on it because it's so much of it is review for us. And the first one is, is listen to God more than yourself. Listen to God more than yourself. A child is consumed with his current circumstances and his current condition, and that's all he or she thinks about, talks about, cries about, moans about. 
And no wonder God's not present because that's all that's on their mind. And the best thing you could ever do for your maturity is the best thing you can do to grow up is to read, spend more time reading what the promises of God are, what, how he has defined himself and not you. You read those words. You memorize those words. You meditate on those words. You fill your life with the promises and the attributes of God. Be consumed with those words that are true. And the second thing is you do them. You must respond. We must respond to what we hear, what we read in the Bible. So the idea here is, is uh, what's it called? Separation anxiety, right? Uh, you, you, if you're parents, you know that when, they're, when you drop your child in some kind of daycare situation, they scream and cry for you. You go around the corner and then you come back, right? It's a little bit of peekaboo. Separation anxiety is the belief that you're never going to come back. How does a child grow out of that? Well, you usually have to leave them somewhere. And they start studying, I mean, it's happening in the little brain, but they're studying your consistency in coming back. And there's a lot of crying and adjustments taking place. That's you. What is, what attribute of God, what nature of God are you the most vulnerable in the context of peekaboo? Name it. And then, and then, ex, then try to extend the time before you start doubting it. And in that time... You're meditating not on your circumstances. You're not consumed with your own emotions. You're going back to these promises of God, and you're saying, this is true, regardless of my circumstances or emotion. I will not be determined by my circumstances. And, and so you make a project out of realizing that God could go around the corner for two days, for two weeks, for 14 summers. That's how. And I'd say the last thing, this is, this is Peterson's, this is my, my little add-on, is, is listen and believe to the right, the right people. I mean, there are people that you might spend time with, and they're telling you that God doesn't care about you. He's not intimate. That God's disciplines are vindictive, and he's just punishing you because he enjoys it. Or that God has given up on you. You have committed the uncon, you know, unforgivable sin, whatever it might be. I, I'll tell you, life is not long enough for you to endure those kinds of relationships. Spend time with people that say this. What does the Bible say? See, the, remember one? Remember the first thing you have to do? You read the Bible. Don't, don't fill your mind with your thoughts. Don't fill your mind with my thoughts. Fill, I'm telling you to go read the Bible. What passage did you read today? What memory verse do you have stuck on your dashboard? What are you meditating on? That's a good friend. Are you meditating on the fact that he is intimate with you? He's Rahim. He's like a mother's womb towards you. Are you meditating on this, that his disciplines are merciful? His compassion will not spank you any more than you have to? That it's out for good, not for evil? That he is always relentlessly pursuing you with great mercy. That's what God's love is like. Why is he this way? Think about that. Why is God com greatly compassionate towards us? I'll go back to the very beginning. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. 
He has compassion towards you. I'm sorry, great compassion towards you. He has rahim towards you because he has chosen to. That's that. That's why it's settled. That's why. He said so. And so it is. Here's what I'd like to do just to finish up. Would you mind if you... Would you mind just closing your eyes, maybe bowing your head? And I want to ask you some questions and see how your faith is growing in the assurance of things that you hope for. If you're convicted about things that you can't see because your eyes are covered. Here's, don't lose hope because you think God is distant. Because God is close to you. He is intimate with you. His Rahim is like a mother's womb. He can't forget you. Your name is written on his palm. Do you believe that? Do you live like that's true? Do not lose hope because you think pain is purposeless. But indeed, the pain is most pain, much pain is purposeful. His discipline is Rahim, it is compassionate. And he will never leave you. Do not lose hope because you think that God has given up on you. You have crossed the line. You have gone too far. You have hit the place of no return because that's not true. He has not given up on you. He cannot give up on you. He is obliged by his own promises to be compassionate towards you. He will never leave you. He cannot forsake you. God loves you like a mother, and his great compassions will never fail. Believe that and live that way. Lord, help us do that. In the name of Jesus, we all pray. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.